The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken in connection with the discussion of the Catechism on Holy Baptism. And so we'll be reading together from Colossians 2, the verses 6 to 14. Colossians 2, the verses 6 to 14. And you'll be able to find that on page 1353 of your pew Bible. We read the word of God. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and deceptive and empty deceit according to the basic according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you're complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. So far, the word of God. This afternoon, we'll also be looking at the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 26, and you'll be able to find that on page 540 of your book of praise. How does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? in this way. Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Where has Christ promised that he will wash us with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? in the institution of baptism, where he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated where scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, close to 4,000 years ago, a man was spoken to by God. 
He left his home and left the worship of his people. Cutting out the influence of these pagan gods by removing himself from the situation, he traveled. Having the influence of these pagan gods cut out by him being called out of this situation, he traveled, believing in the promise of the one who called him. He believed and therefore walked with God, offering sacrifices to him and living humbly before him. And as a seal of the righteousness of faith, God marked him with a sign, a sign that would be carried by him and his descendants for millennia after. The sign was circumcision. The man's name was Abram, later changed to Abraham, the father of many nations. And the gift he was given was a great one. He did indeed become the father of many nations. Ishmael and several powerful Arab tribes descended from his line, as did Esau and Edomites, who rose to kingship even before Moses crossed into the promised land. Powerful nations in their own right. But the greatest gift to Abraham of God was this, that out of those descendants, God chose a nation that he had laid claim to. God preserved a remnant, a people who were guided to keep his ways and marked by this very same sign, the sign of circumcision. But as we reflect on this sign, we ask ourselves, what does this have to do with the New Testament age? How do these promises relate to today? Haven't we moved past the Old Testament when it comes to discussing these kinds of promises? And why does the author to the Colossians bring this up? Today I proclaim to you the word of God. Through baptism, you are circumcised with the circumcision of Christ. And we'll see, first of all, the physical, second, the heart, and third, the circumcision of Christ. When it comes to circumcision, the first thing that the people who were receiving this letter to the Colossians would think to was, quite likely, the circumcision that was passed down to them through the law of Moses. This was actually what the rabbis in Jesus' age quite frequently referred to. Those teachers of the law, they would point again and look again to Moses, and that would be at the forefront of their arguments, that was at the forefront of many of their arguments at the time, and it would have been at the forefront of many of their minds. But when it comes to circumcision, it actually goes back even further than this. And this is something that Christ and his apostles time and time again brought to the attention of the people of God. The record begins not with Moses, but in the 12th and 15th chapters of Genesis with Abraham. God first spoke to Abraham, promising him a land, giving a a promise that was unconditional. Descendants like the stars in the sky and a, a great land where he and his descendants would live. And then God says this in Genesis 17, the verses 10 to 13. 
He says, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Now, there's something worth noting here. The very fact of circumcision showed something. It showed to the people of God that just being born in the right family was in itself not enough. If that was the case, Abraham himself could have been circumcised and been done with it. Abraham's faith would have been enough and no more would be needed. But no, every child needed the sign. Everybody in the household, slave and free, everyone who fell under the authority, who fell under the sphere of influence of the leader, the head of the household of Abraham himself. Circumcising a child, the infant, showed that even infants needed God's hand at work, that they needed God himself to lay claim to them. And for this reason, every male in the house was circumcised. Another thing to note as we reflect back on Abraham and circumcision as it's discussed there is that the sign of God's claim to his children was so important to God that we find in Genesis 17, verse 14, the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God wanted to drive home the dependence of his people on him. And he wanted to drive home that he was giving them this sign of his grace towards them, even at their most vulnerable state. Their hearts were hardened as the descendants of Abraham grew in number. And for 40 years in the desert, this symbol was taken away from them. Because of their refusal to believe and their refusal to enter into the promised land, Numbers 14, verse 32 to 35, we can see. But when the promise was restored to the descendants, circumcision was taken up again. In Joshua 5, verse 2, at that time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. It happened once already in Moses' lifetime, and now again with the promise being reaffirmed, the promise being given to them again, the next generation was given this sign. So the physical was always seen as a sign of the symbol of God's covenant placed on his people. But taking part in it also showed a response of faith much like baptism today. 
trusting that God would take care of both you and your family, and a sign that you belonged to him as his people, and that he provided for his people everything that they stood in need of when it came to their salvation. This was a sign that Jesus Christ took on himself as well. Born to the people of God, he too was circumcised on the eighth day, marking him as part of God's covenant people. This too is what's referred to in passing here in our passage in Colossians. But there was more to it than just the physical thing itself. It wasn't simply just the physical act of being circumcised. As we see in Colossians here, it speaks of us being circumcised with the circumcision of Christ, and we can see it goes much deeper than just a physical thing, because otherwise we ourselves wouldn't be able to have that happen to us, would we? But there is a deeper part to this. They speak of the circumcision of the heart. And this brings us to our second point, the spiritual In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, we read, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Now, I want you to hold on to those last words that we find there, that you may live, and keep them in your mind for a moment as we move on. Circumcision was a physical symbol that was pointing to something spiritual. It was a promise of something that would happen. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, God teaches here, for those who were going to return to him in repentance and faith in Deuteronomy 30. Circumcision was the sign not just of cutting off the flesh to be a part of the people of God, but there was something deeper to it. It was the sign of cutting away sin from the heart. One whose heart was circumcised was brought by the Lord to trust in the Lord and to be able to find forgiveness and life in him. This is why faith was necessary for someone who wanted to join the people of God before they could be circumcised. Romans 4 speaks to exactly this point. In Romans 4, verses 9 to 11, we read this, For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while he was circumcised, but while he was uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. So Abraham, on trusting God, God having brought him out of the land, God having brought him to believe in him, was now given the sign as one who came in before God. And as this continues 
throughout the history of the people of God, even right to today, you find that Jews even today have to make a profession before they are circumcised and brought in to the people of God. Sorry, Gentiles, as they are brought into the people of God from their perspective. So you get this message in Deuteronomy of circumcising being a picture of cutting away sin and moving you from death to life. Remember Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. The sign was to cut away sin from your heart. The Lord will circumcise your heart that you may live. Moving from death to life that you may live. The seal of the righteousness that those who believe get. If you have faith as one of the Old Testament people of God, if you believe, this is a marker for you showing to you who have put your trust in God that you do and you, ever, you forever will belong to God. You will spiritually live. And Abraham was given this sign and seal. Not just as a sign that he belonged to the people of God, but that he would live. A sign that he was brought from death to life. Now, let's reflect on how this relates to the New Testament church. We find this described here in our passage in Colossians 2, verse 11 and 13. I'll read just those two verses for a moment. In him, Christ, you, that is all of the Colossians, the members of the Colossian church who have been brought to faith, so in him, you, were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That's the circumcision of the heart, done by God, as described in Deuteronomy, the sin being cut away. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having forgiven you all of your sins, Notice, those who believe in the Colossian church are moved from death to life by Christ. Their hearts are described as having been circumcised by God. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. But now notice what he slides in between there, verse 12. Because we read 11 and 13, right? Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Notice, notice how the Apostle Paul, the author of Colossians, uses both of these ideas in the same breath. It's a sign and a guarantee of the fact that those who believe have all of their sins cut away. But since there's a different picture being used here, because many of the people in the Colossian church are not circumcised, he also introduces different language as well. 
Instead of all of their sins being cut away, our catechism describes it in this way in question and answer 69. How does baptism show you that Christ's sacrifice benefits you? In this way. As surely as water washes away dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul. That is all my sins. It's the cleansing of the heart, the washing away of sin from the heart, from the soul. Through Christ, the sign that we receive in baptism is used in the same breath as circumcision here in Colossians. Why? Because it points to the same thing. It means that through faith in God, all who believe have their sins cut away or washed away. And that God lays claim to them and to their household. Just as with Abraham, it was a seal of the righteousness received by faith. Romans 4 verse 11. So with those who believe in God in the New Testament age, it is a sign and a seal of the righteousness that is had by faith. And a sign of the claim that God lays on both those who believe and their children. But if that's the case, why is there baptism at all then? Why the switch? Why do we have it that he's speaking here that's Uh, He's speaking here, you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He's speaking to a mixed audience, an audience that has, in some sense, an idea of what circumcision means because some of them have been circumcised, but also those who have not been circumcised. Why did they move? Why did things change? Well, this brings us to our third point, the circumcision of Christ. The key to the reason for this change can be found in the letter to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, verse 22. According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sins. Time and time again in the Old Testament, purification was made through blood. After sacrifices, blood was sprinkled on the people to make them ceremonially clean. Blood was sprinkled on all of the instruments of the tabernacle to make them ceremonially clean as well. And the act of God's covenant, the circumcision itself, was a sign also of including blood in the ceremonies, namely the blood that came with the picture of sin being cut from your heart. The whole point of blood in the Old Testament was to remind the people that the wages of sin was death. The whole point of circumcision was to remind them that it was passed down generationally as well. That sin was not something that you could escape by being born into a new situation. But from father to child, it was passed down. It was also that where man's sin 
led to death, God himself provides the ceremony. God himself provides the blood of the sacrifice instead. The blood of animals, which pointed ahead to the sacrifice of Christ, purified them for worship. And the blood for circumcision also is a point that points ahead to that purification. Again, as we read in Hebrews 9, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. But we don't remain there. What Hebrews 9 goes on to point out is this. These sacrifices no longer need to be repeated time and time again. Blood no longer needs to be spilled time and time again. Because Christ came and offered one sacrifice. His blood was poured out and that one sacrifice was sufficient. It was enough. Hebrews 9 verses 26 to 28 we read, Now once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ himself was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly, and to those who eagerly await for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. The symbol of cutting away sin followed by the ceremonial spilling of a tiny amount of blood was no longer necessary because that blood was spilled long ago. And blood no longer needs to be spilled for those who believe in Christ. The symbols are gone and what the pictures, the symbols pointed to has, been ta- has taken place. It is done. And now the symbol for repentance and forgiveness in the wash, washing of baptism has come. But though the picture has changed, circumcision to baptism, yet the promise that comes with the covenant remains. And that promise can be found here in Leviticus 26, verses 40 to 42. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. With Christ, it has gone even deeper. In Christ, the amends for our sin, our iniquity, has been made before God. As we turn from sin and we work to restore the relationships that have been damaged by our sin, making amends there where we can, we can rest and trust in this, that for the sake of Christ, while we still seek to make amends with individuals, our guilt before God is clear. Christ has come. And for those who turn in repentance and faith to him, Their sins are washed away. So let me read this once more to you from our catechism. To be washed with Christ's blood means 
to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified, changed day by day to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Now with all of that in mind, more fully understanding what that blood pointed out, as we read in Hebrews 9, we now are able to say, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait, wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. So as we look at God's promises through circumcision and as we look ahead through that to baptism, we are reminded once again of our dependence on God. And as we see our need, we are reminded again that he has provided the blood. How he always provides and always will for those who believe in him. You can eagerly wait for him, as it says here. You can eagerly wait for him, not sitting and hoping, but eagerly wait for him, knowing that when he appears a second time, it will be apart from sin, which is to say, not for the sake of sin, not to condemn sin in the flesh by the sacrifice of himself, but for the final step of our salvation, to redeem, to finish the final work of salvation for his people, to bring them to himself and purify them forever. With that in mind, let's rejoice to hear these final words in the fullness of their riches. The forgiveness of sin, the blood that was spent once and for all and the cleansing that we receive. Looking back again to these words from Colossians. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Those who try focus you on other things and not on the word and the blood of Christ for this redemption. Because it's not in them, but it is in him. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He has provided. Buried with him in baptism. You were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. In verse 13, and you being dead in your trespasses and dead in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, which is to say, which stood in condemnation over us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Circumcised with the circumcision of Christ, loved ones, you stand free and forgiven, washed clean from all guilt by his blood, and washed daily by his Holy Spirit as he leads us on to a new life.
Amen.